Hey, welcome back to Mobile First. I'm your host, Jordan Bryant. Every week, I sit down with industry leaders to unlock how they are creating effective mobile experiences that make an impact for their businesses so that you can understand the perspective and tactics to replicate their success. If you're new to the show, Mobile First is the media child of Emerge Interactive, a digital experience company with two decades of creating highly performing digital products out of Portland, Oregon. We believe that every digital product owner deserves a clear vision, plan of action, and the right capabilities to create effective digital experiences that help to increase sales and performance. This week on Emerge Mobile First, a conversation with Tony Ball, SVP and GM of Identity and Access Management at Entrust Data Card. My brother and I, not dissimilar to yourself, actually lived in a small town in southern England, and it was instilled in me you know, really strong values about how you treat people, saying please and thank you, knowing uh, what's important in life, and everything you get, you work for. Tony Ball is a senior vice president and general manager of the Identity and Access Management Business Unit at Entrust Data Card. He joined the company in 2016 to provide leadership, global strategy, and innovation for the access control and authentication solution segments. Ball has deep industry knowledge and previously served as the president of Identity and Access Management for HID Global. He has held executive roles at HID, Gamalto, and Schlumberger Technologies, where he began his career with over 20 years in multiple leadership roles across the globe. Ball studied finance and business at Bournemouth University and completed the International Institute for Management Development Executive Leadership Program. Tony, thank you for joining us. Really excited to have you here. Thanks, Jordan. Really excited to be with you. Yeah, absolutely. So before diving into your experience, we'd like to pause for just a brief moment to get to know who you are, your perspective, your why. So what are you most passionate about in your profession and why? The most passionate thing has to be the time I get to spend with really, really smart people working on really cool things. And at Entrust Data Card today, we're really going down a path of making identity matter for our customers. We're really putting out a different perspective on how people need to think about identity and their everyday lives. And we've assembled some really talented people to go on that pathway with us and we're doing things that I think other people are not in terms of creating customer experiences and getting them excited about working with us and doing things that really enable them to have better experiences, taking friction out of what they do and, and, and really being able to go about their lives in a secure and sort of trusted way. And, and, and it, it gives you that sense of purpose. So that's what I enjoy more than anything. I'm working with cool people and, and delivering cool stuff. And what shaped that for you? And I know we, you have a similar upbringing to me and, and you've experienced quite a bit. And so I'm curious, you know, what, what along your journey shaped this passion of yours? Well, I didn't have the benefit of growing up with emus. But <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> so that is the first. But I, I consider my life as abnormal, let's put it that way, that my parents were uh, married for 50 years and it's an abnormal upbringing because I was brought up with a lot of love, a lot of support. My brother and I, not dissimilar to yourself, actually lived in a small town in southern England. And it was instilled in me you know, really strong values about how you treat people, saying please and thank you, knowing uh, what's important in life and everything you get, you work for. So not afraid to roll my shirt sleeves up. or, or And I only ever ask people to do the things that I'd be prepared to do myself. So very fortunate in that regard. 
I really enjoy spending time with people, connecting with people. I, I live by a very simple rule that I only spend time with people I love spending time with, whether that be at my workplace where uh, I choose to, to do what I do or I'm outside of work and spending time with my wife, my children and very close extended uh, family and friends. So that really is what shapes me. It sounds, you know, very fulfilling and well-rounded, the, the perspective that you have and, and, you know, basing that off of your upbringing. So how has this background influenced how you approach your work today? I call myself more lucky than smart, okay? I found myself in a situation very early on that I left school as soon as I possibly could because school for me in a regimented fashion was just not going to cut it. Of course, I did the obligatory things that could enable you to get out and then went out and tried to find my first job and realized when I get out that uh, in the first role I had, somebody would actually probably have to pass away before I'd actually make progress through the organization. It was, it was that old stodgy in terms of, and I was lucky enough that about three miles from my home, this large new facility was being built and the company that was building it was called Slobberger. And uh, back in the, uh, the early eighties, they were recognized as one of the top five employers on the globe. And for those who don't really understand what Somage did, they, they built a culture of educating and training people. The founders really helped people with their education. And they also encourage you to take on new opportunities, to be very autonomous, take risk, and go out and, and really advance the business. So you're encouraged to do that. I remember one of my, uh, my early bosses there asked me what I wanted to do with my life because clearly I hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about that up until then. And he said, what is it uh, you want to do? I said, well, I could be very better to say at the time. I said, well, I want your job. And he said, you're way too smart for that. And he was a purchasing manager at the time and said, you're going to have to go back to school. So they sent me back to school and they paid for my education to be able to go on, on, on that journey with them. So I got lucky. But I used the luck that was presented with some really great people around me that gave me the foundational pieces to, to be myself, take risk and learn. And that was awesome. What a great support system early on, too, to influence the path that you took. I think that's really, really important. And so do you find yourself doing that very you know, similar to your team and providing that, that mentorship and pushing them to do that as well? We use the term mentor so much today as, as if, something that is, is, is always available and freely given. And, and the harsh reality is that it isn't. People seek it. But uh, in, in some respects, I had mentors I didn't even know I had. People who were vested in my future success without me even thinking about it. And that's the type of environment you want to create for your employees that uh, as a coach, as somebody who's looking to take people on a path where Quite often, they haven't got a clue where they're going. And let's be honest, nor do we ourselves as leaders. Half the time, we, we have some understanding where we want to get to. We don't know exactly how it's going to unfold. You want to create an environment where people, I, I use the expression, bring your whole self to work. Bring it all. I want to know what makes you tick. I want to know what makes you laugh. I want to know what gets you excited. And I want you to contribute that and do it without fear. Do it without fear of recrimination, without the concern that you might get fired. And my comment to be, well, what is the worst thing that you could do if you push the envelope, okay, and it doesn't work? You'll find yourself working somewhere else naturally anyway, 
whether it's by your own volition or somebody else's. So go at it and give it your whole self and, and see where it takes you. And, and that's when the magic happens, if you can get people in that mode. I love that, that idea of bringing your whole self to work. I think that's so powerful because it's real. It's, it allows people to be expressive and be creative, knowing that they're not feeling restricted in other areas. We're all human beings. We all carry our, let's call it our bag of rocks. And, and every day that's a different bag. Someday it's lighter, someday it's heavier. But we all have to take care of our loved ones. We all have to make sure we're progressing our careers. We have to look after our customers. And we have to balance the, the financial responsibilities. That They all come as a package. And if we're placed in a healthy environment, that, that bag of rocks typically ends up being an awful lot lighter when we come to work with like-minded people who are doing similar cool things. So this work environment sounds awesome. So can you maybe explain a little bit about the work that you guys do, who Entrust Data Card is, uh, what you're up to? Great company I joined about 18 months ago. CEO's a guy called Todd Wilkinson, who has an awful lot of trust and confidence of our, our board. We're privately held. We've been in business now about 50 years. In fact, we are 50th anniversary next year. We have an environment here which is really looking to bring in top talent, bring in talent that wants to go on a journey that ultimately is about making life easier for our customers in the context of their experiences around identity. We're a company that has grown up as historically data card where we provided central issuance and desktop issuance capability for credit cards, for debit cards for national IDs, uh, driver's license. So centrally issued and you would get those through the mail. And of course, everybody knows what that experience is like. Well, fast forward in the world that we're in today and the acquisition that we undertook about four years ago with uh, bringing in Entrust. And Entrust is a company that really specialized in the mobile experience and being able to take an ID, provision it to a trusted endpoint, allowing a user to authenticate to a network using things like certificates. So without going too technical, because that, that will blow the pants off anyone, but <laughs> putting those two things together and saying, hey, we can actually help you in the identity realm of putting a physical and a digital ID together and make that a really cool unified experience. And we can do that in a way that nobody else can. And we have a footprint, we have a brand. So now we formed Entrust Data Card. We're really focused on bringing that and giving that to customers in a meaningful way that they haven't experienced before in, in education, in government to citizen, in financial applications. And this is where it gets exciting because it's, it's really bringing the mobile element to the forefront of the conversation, which is new for a company that has been perhaps in the financial realm a little bit more risk averse and is now starting in the identity realm to see the opportunities. And with new talent, with new capability, it's, it's really starting to take off. So that, that's the excitement. That's the 50,000 foot view. And we had some really good conversations around that government to citizen application. And uh, I would love to dig into that with you a little bit, Tony. So w when we say you're not providing a solution or looking to provide solutions for that government to citizen sector, what, what would that entail? So when I talked about the, the acquisition of Entrust, they grew up in a way that they worked with government employees. So government employees get issued a badge and 
they use that badge to go into a building and they might use it to authenticate to a network remotely. So you remember the days you put your badge into a PC. Mm-hmm. So now they morph that solution into being able to take the badge and take those attributes and put it to a mobile device. That's commonly called a derived credential. Basically means I've taken the ID that you've got that's physical, I've put it on your mobile device. Now you can use it to enter a building by walking up to a reader with your mobile device, or you can use it to authenticate to a network by typing in a PIN or a one-time password. So that capability we've taken and said, well, instead of just looking at it government to employee, it's got applications that now could be used for government to citizen. So when you start looking at the way different emerging economies are looking at how you address, for example, voter ID and registration, they're not necessarily looking at it and saying, well, you you have to go to a particular a centralized polling station, they're now setting up the ability that you can register, get your ID, push down to your mobile device, which is a trusted endpoint. And now the representation of that ID can be used for you to go to a polling station and essentially register your vote. And without being specific about the country we're working with for, for confidentiality purposes, but suffice to say that it, it is in the top 10 economies of the world. And it is one that's very aggressive in their looking to provision that voter ID. But what's even more exciting is not just the mobile attribute of that and being able to give that to citizens for convenience. They're using that to back into then saying, well, with this source of information, we can now actually back into making that a national ID from which other applications like social security might be there or being able to receive some you know, benefits or even your driver's license, which is the next area that we're working on getting to the ID. So really exciting in terms of how that technology we built is being applied into a use case. We're delivering a different experience for citizens. With all the various use cases, how do you determine where to start? That's a really good question. And it, it comes down to, if, if there's one thing that, we've learned very quickly here is you could go in 50 different directions and you'd think all of them are right. But the harsh reality is that we don't know enough unless we really spend time with some of the key alliances and key partners that can help guide us. So if there's one thing that I learned from this is you can have the coolest technology out there and and you can demonstrate it and you can get people to come by and say, wow, that is awesome. But if that's not integrated into other third-party systems, it's not been validated, it's not been endorsed, and you haven't got alliances that say that stuff works and it it works with my backend system. Yes, it works with that provisioning mechanism. Yes, you have a mobile SDK that I can leverage. Yes, it it goes back into the server and I can activate the device or I can deprovision it. So when you look at mobile, because mobile has got this simplistic endpoint that Apple has done this enormously fantastic job of of providing to us, we all think, well, it must be easy to get to endpoint, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. What goes on behind the scenes? So the selection is pick an area where you can make money, of course. Mm -hmm. Pick a partner who can educate and train you. Make sure that you build an alliance community so when you come out and you chest pound around this works, it's not just you. You're not stood in a corner in isolation. You actually have a community to validate that, yeah, this stuff works and the experience is 
has been thought about back to front and front to back. I want to reiterate these steps because I think these are really important and it's a really important framework for doing business in the government sector when you know, systems are archaic and security is so crucial with personal identification and, and theft and, and all of that that goes with that, but then also how slow some of the decision makings can be with all the governing bodies. To me, it makes a lot of sense of why you have these steps. So number one, you were saying, you know, focusing on areas to make the biggest impact. Obviously, when you're making a big impact, there's money to be made there. And then you're evaluating how easy it is to strike up partnerships and what partnerships are readily available to tap into. And then with that, establishing an alliance, a community to help in supporting, pushing things forward. And then that can also be reliant upon each other to you know, fill in the missing pieces. Is there something you'd add to that or maybe reword? I think you nailed the key attributes there. The thing that I would augment that with is you have to tie the pieces together relative to who are the people that write the white papers to get the level of endorsement, who are the consultants that have the feet on the ground that connect the key players. You made a very important comment about the decision-making cycle in government. Very difficult to predict. You've got the re-election of government on a continuous basis, and you've got to think very carefully about who's in power at any given time, where the alliances line up, can you get movement inside the window where it's expected to take place? And it requires a lot of forethought as to how that cycle is going to move through, as to whether the timing is right. Irrespective of how good the solution is and how good the alliances are, if you haven't thought about when those decision-making cycles take place, it can, it can elongate your cycle by two or three years just because of the administration change. Wow. So, I mean, this is something that a lot of industries are facing. How do you approach this? This is a big hurdle for, for many. So what, what are you doing to effectively you know, navigate these cycles and this timing? The good news is we've not built our entire business on that because if I did, <laughs> I wouldn't have a board that would have the patience to continue to back me. What it amounts to is that we've taken the technology and the user experience I described in the government to employee areas and We've taken that capability and moved it into a channel play for enterprise applications, moved it into the education arena. And those are what I would say where you can cast your net and you can get others to help you in smaller business situations, continue to get your revenue, continue to to grow your business. So we're not wholly dependent on one government in one situation being a make or break for us. And it's important to pick the area that you want to be successful in, but you're not betting the farm on it in a way that you've set up yourself and you've set up your business for failure. What you've done is managed appropriately your investments to the point where, yes, I've made a decision in this particular area that we want to go after it. We're going to learn from it. We know where the revenue is. And what you do is you put a end game. So visualize where you want to get to. Be realistic in terms of getting a pilot. Be realistic in setting expectations of what revenue will come and align your finance team and your operational team behind it and make sure that you execute on it to get validation. So that way you get the buy-in of your organization to continue the investment stakes because they see that you're making the progress that you expected to and they stay in. If you set expectations too high and you get people too excited and you can't deliver, they will lose 
their level of confidence and their patience to stay with. This is really awesome. I definitely want to reiterate this because I think there's some really good points in here. Just another step-by-step process that you have or framework. So just to reiterate, you said being really clear what that vision is and then establishing a realistic pilot and then realistic expectations and goals to follow that. Because if it's, if it's too outlandish, then it's too risky. And you're talking about this investment portfolio management that takes place so that you're not putting the whole form on the line for that one initiative and then making sure that you have that alignment across the necessary teams that can see it through. And then you're, you're executing on that plan for validation purposes. Yeah, that's, that's well summarized. The last thing you want to be is going to a board meeting six times in a row talking about the same project and nothing's happened because you went into the first board meeting telling everybody how it was going to take place. And by the time you finished, everybody is, is tired of hearing it. And that's when careers end and <laughs> you look for a change in leadership. I mean, that's the extreme case. But my, my point in that is if you set expectations appropriately, if you bring people with you, you've got a better than even chance of making something happen. You said it very well. But it sounds like you're also constantly taking incremental steps in different directions to try and validate these things. Is that, is that accurate or, or is there maybe a different way you describe it? It, it is absolutely accurate because it, I love the expression mobile first. I, mobile to me drives everything. I, I am addicted. My wife uh, gives me more of those uh, death stares than you could imagine about <laughs> the times I pick this thing up at all times of night and day. Okay. So when you look at that end point and you think of the simplicity, I do everything through it. Right. So uh, when, when I think about that, mobile means different things to different people. And that to me is the important part of being very precise and articulate. When you talk about mobile, be very specific. Are you talking about the mobile in the context of being able to transact? Are you talking about the mobile in the case of being able to get particular information or to authenticate? Are you looking at it in terms of being able to get information to be able to validate? So You've got so many different applications. When you talk about mobile, it ends up being such a generic way that people think they understand what you're talking about. They take away from the conversation, I've got it. And chances are they haven't. And chances are you haven't articulated clearly what you mean by it. So precision around the mobile experience, where it's going to add value, what it's going to do to change somebody's life, how you're going to make money out of it, and ultimately where it's going to make a difference is such an important part of the conversation. That precision where everybody is coming from mobile is such an important part of the business thought process and setting the realistic targets of what you can do. Got it. And to hit that precision, that's why you guys are making those incremental realistic pilots to actually determine what is going to be that precise hit of a great mobile experience. Exactly. Exactly. With, you know, this, this managing of this investment portfolio and, and knowing where to invest and how much to invest and some of these th things that you've invested in, what are some of the key things that you've learned or maybe mistakes made that you would maybe do differently now that you've experienced them? I think the biggest mistake that we've made in our, our history that we've learned from is the part that I mentioned about coming out with something that you think is really, really cool and you, you chest pound about it. You want everybody to, to buy into the Kool-Aid. You tell everybody it's fantastic, but 
you can't spend enough dollars to get out there and make it resonate with somebody because it's too expensive to do that. You just, you just cannot. So you're going out and you're saying this is cool, but when people come to experience it and then want to buy it and then want to understand how it's integrated and how you ultimately can make it meaningful for them, that's where you end up falling short and you end up getting dragged into eight, 10, 12 different conversations and you're being pulled in so many different ways that you don't know which path to pick. So you have this cool technology, but it goes nowhere because you didn't think through how that technology gets pulled through meaningfully with the right partners to make it an experience. In your mind, it's an experience, but in reality, when others can't integrate it and use it, then you fail miserably to capture the imagination of the intended audience. And we've done that. And there are some products that we've, we've launched in our history that we should have done differently uh, for the reasons I just described. So how do you effectively plan that bigger picture? Because I think, it, I think I understand in bringing partners to the table and finding the ones that can integrate with it, but, but how do you plan to that extent so that you know what directions you don't want to be pulled in? Well, uh, experience is one thing for sure. Mm -hmm. you, you certainly have to have enough battle scars to uh, have known what looks like the right thing to do or not. Mm -hmm. But I would say that you have to engage with a particular set of end customers that are prepared to go on a like-minded journey with you, who have an appetite and a patience that go with it, who are willing to let you in. They're willing to let you in in terms of joint development activities, perhaps some, you know, even down to some code sharing, being in a position where you might share resources that come backwards and forwards, that you put some skin in the game early on together and you think about what success looks like together. So being very selective, typically working in areas where you've got feet on the street and you've got the right cover. So making sure you've got the sales interfaces and you've got the corporate level sponsorship so that there's continuity there. It's no good if you're going to, somebody who's, who's telling you you've got a, a great opportunity and it's in the south of France and you don't have a salesperson and a technical support person. And even though the dollar sign sounds fantastic, if you can't stand it up, if you're not integrated, if you're not able to handhold the customer, if you can't go through the steps they need to, it doesn't matter how exciting the opportunity is or how compelling it's been made, you will fail. So you've really got to pick the right geography, the right vertical, the right partners and say, yeah, we can make it successful. Once we've made it successful, then we'll scale it out. But until we've got to that point, it's important to dream, but it's, it's not smart to ultimately overstep the mark and take on something that you know is high risk because the chances are that you won't make it. So Tony, what's one of the coolest things you're working on right now that you want everyone to check out? I would say it's a branded product called IntelliTrust. And we use the term taking the F out of authentication, which at least gets people to check, you know, well, I don't see any F in authentication. Yes, there are three Fs in authentication. There are, there's friction, there's factors, and there's frustration, okay? What IntelliTrust is, it's a, it's a cloud-based mobile experience. Authenticating to a network allows your customers, allows your vendors, allows your employees to essentially be able to do some of those things in their mobile applications for working, whether it be in Salesforce, whether it's 
in the HR domains, being able to get that kind of experience as part of one organization, you consume it as as you need to on a per identity basis, but it, it's it's a really cool in-app experience, easy to deploy, and we've had some fun with it. As I said, we, we've branded that IntelliTrust and we're educating the market through uh, Gartner. We were at the Gartner conference in London last week and, and they loved the messaging. They loved the experience and said, you guys are doing things very differently because you're not just taking mobile for authentication purposes. You're actually taking it to the next level. We're, we're taking the pattern of your use on mobile. We're integrating that with facial recognition. We're integrating that with behavioral attributes, and we're looking at the geolocation. So we're more predictive in telling the organizations, yeah, that's perfectly reasonable for Tony to authenticate into our network from London, from the hotel he was intending to stay at, versus, no, that's Tony from, he's in Tokyo, and he's he's not in a hotel that he's ever stayed at. So we do those checks and balances for you, and we do it in a cloud way. So that's a really cool area that I would suggest gets checked out. So that's IntelliTrust. And we were talking about there's a lot of different use cases this technology can be applied. So I, I would love to learn more about how we can keep in touch, you know, where to go with some of these things that are coming out. So I know you guys are on Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook. Obviously, you have your website, IntrustDataCard.com. Where do you suggest we go to keep tabs on some of these changes and things that are coming out? You've just said just about every media outlet that we've actually got to contribute to. But we, we do have some of our, our teams blogging, which I think is an important way to keep up. So Ryan Zlocky, who's heading the IntelliTrust portfolio, is, is blogging. And, and I would say that's a great way for staying connected with us. Of course, at any time, I'd be happy to update you guys on our progress if, if that invite would to be forthcoming. But generally speaking, we, we are looking to keep our website and our social media updated with the things that we're doing. We're getting also our customers to do testimonials and share with the broader world how IntelliTrust is changing their lives. And forget what I say, people aren't interested in that. It's much more interesting when customers say, this is, this is really good. It's changed the way that we conduct business. So getting more testimonials out there that you can leverage. One of the ones that I can tell you is, is huge for us was we are the authentication solution of choice for NASA. Um, so we could say we take authentication to the moon, if you like. Okay? <laughs> so it's JPL, the Jet Propulsion Lab, and the CIO of NASA, who I've had the pleasure to have dinner with, is one of the strongest proponents of the authentication solution that we have. And it, it's a user experience that allows you to use your mobile device to be automatically authenticated to your desktop, whether it be Windows or whether it be Apple-based. And it gives you a single sign-on experience to all of your applications. Very, very cool. And, and NASA's the first user of that and the biggest proponent of it. So cool. So I'll make sure to link to all these channels in our uh, show notes, but then make sure to go check out entrustdatacard.com and check out the blog. That's where a lot of these updates are going to be happening. And I, I appreciate that offer. We'd love to stay apprised with just the latest mobile experiences you guys have coming out. So yeah, feel free to shoot me any updates anytime and I'll make sure to put that in for everybody. And then also on Friday, make sure to tune in for this rapid fire round where Tony's going to be sharing some of his most valuable resources. 
Tony, thanks so much for an amazing episode. I mean, this was really valuable. I really appreciate allowing us to look under the hood and these these couple frameworks that you presented. It was an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Jordan. I, I viewed it the same way. Really enjoyed the conversation. So uh, look forward to speaking to you again one day in the future. So thank you. Hey, thank you for listening. For additional resources on how to increase sales and performance with your mobile experiences, head over to www.emergemobilefirst.com and select the Get Free Resources button there at the top and gain instant exclusive access to tools and resources from all of our guests aggregated into one single place just for you. Now I'm looking forward to digging in with my next guest, but until next time, think mobile first. Thank you.